Bible. A deeper dive into the books of the Bible. Greetings and welcome to Pondering the Bible. I'm your co-host, Ken Corkins, and with me, as always, is my longtime friend and pastor, Rocky Ellison. Hello. This is Season 2, Episode 17, and we pray that we're sponsored by the Holy Spirit. Amen. We continue our walk through the Gospel of Matthew. Yep. Now, last week, we covered the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. This week, it looks like it's more parables. It is. This is Matthew's big introduction to parables. He said that Jesus always spoke in parables every time he talked to people, but this is the only place where Matthew decides to sit down and collect a few of them and and show us what Jesus was doing. So The greatest hits of the parables of Jesus. That's what it is, <laughs> according to Matthew. According to Matthew. That's kind of an icky title, though. Yeah. It's very wordy. All right. Um, so what chapters and verses are we covering this week? Still in chapter 13, uh, tonight, verses 44 through 52. And what translation are you going to read us? Back to the NLT tonight, okay. uh, the New Living Translation. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be. At the end of the world, the angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand all these things? Yes, they said, we do. Then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. Amen. Amen. So there's kind of three parables in here. Two are kind of hidden in the first part. Yeah. About the pearl and the uh, gem. Yeah. But, um, so what's Matthew's theme this week? It's kind of two different things I, th I feel going on here. What's the theme this week? They all start with the kingdom of heaven is like. Right. So he's still working that theme, kingdom of, of heaven. But there are, there are three different aspects of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus talks about. Um, the kingdom of heaven began on the night that Jesus was born, and it continues on right now. You and I are living in the kingdom of heaven, but it's an imperfect kingdom of heaven. Uh, we call it the unrealized kingdom of heaven. So right. that's, that's one of the things that Jesus talks about, the, the, the world that you live in now and how it's different from the world before I came. Uh, the second part of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus often refers to is the not yet part. When he returns, the second advent, the second coming of Jesus. Uh, the parousia. That's it, the parousia. And at that point, then, the kingdom of heaven will become complete and reach its full potential. So sometimes Jesus talks about that. But sometimes Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven within you. Mm. That you, you know, it's not just you in the kingdom, the kingdom is in you, and that's why and how you 
are a part of the kingdom and able to impact the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in some ways, uh, the way Jesus represents uh, the kingdom of heaven is almost the same as the Holy Spirit uh, residing within us mm -hmm. or our faith. Uh, so sometimes those two words, faith or indwelling Holy Spirit, can be substituted for the kingdom of heaven if we're talking about what's going on inside you. And the three parables tonight, well, two of the parables are about your faith, the kingdom of heaven within you, and then there's one about the end time, eschatology. All right. So the first part here, um, we've got a man discovering a gem in the field, right? Uh, treasure in a field. Treasure in a field. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I assume it was a gem. I don't know where I got that from. <laughs> um, so well, we're going to be working with a gem dealer later. Okay, maybe and that's And then right. a homeowner who has little gems too. So, But this one's just a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> so number one, what's he doing digging around in a field that's not his? <laughs> number two, why is there a treasure in this field? We have to make some assumptions here, but this is actually very logical. Uh, in Jesus's day, no banks. Right. So you didn't take your paycheck down and deposit it at uh, First Jerusalem uh, <laughs> or, you know, or the Bank of Nazareth. Um, you didn't go to an ATM to get money back when you needed it. Uh, and being robbed was a very real concern. Yes. So people uh, literally did bury valuables. Um, all homes in Israel were built on the same exact plan. Uh, you can look it up on the internet, the, the Hebrew ho uh, first century home. They're all exactly the same. And the ground level of the home had dirt floor because sometimes you brought your animals in there to keep them in during cold winter nights right. and stuff. So initially, people just dug a hole somewhere in the floor of their house and buried their, their valuables there. But it didn't take thieves too long to figure out that's where it's probably buried. Right. Walk into it. Walk into the first level and look for where there's a disturbed ground. There's the treasure. Dig it up. So people did literally start burying their most valuable possessions out in fields that they owned. Uh, buried treasure was a real thing. Uh, typically, the man of the house was responsible for taking the treasure and hiding it somewhere. And we've got numerous examples where. He didn't even trust his own family, so he wouldn't tell wife and kids where the treasure's buried. He would be the only one that knows. Well, then, you know, there's, there's an accident, the, the wagon tips over, or right. he gets an infection, and he dies, and the family doesn't know where it is. And so there's buried treasure out in fields. In a case like that, then, the widow uh, often would start leasing the land to tenant farmers, uh, let them farm the crop and they, they pay me a, a renter's fee, but right. the crop is theirs. They got to pay to put it in. They get all the money when they harvest it. Tenant farmers barely got by. They were not rich men. They, they struggled, but they could just get by. So more than likely, we've got a tenant farmer. He's out plowing a field that he's leasing from a widow and he runs across their family's buried treasure. Hmm. Interesting. And so he does a couple of different things. He, he, reburies it somewhere else. <laughs> right. Uh, and he was not morally obligated to tell the widow. You and I would find that uh, a little unethical. Right. But they were like, no, nah, if the husband didn't bother to tell her, if the husband didn't bother to tell his oldest son where the treasure was buried, it is not anybody else's business to tell her. Now, they can't have the treasure. It's not theirs. It's in her land. Right. But what you can do is raise enough money 
to buy the land from the widow, and then anything that's in that land is yours. It legally belongs to you. So the tenant farmer moves it to a different location so the family won't accidentally stumble across it. And then he goes and he sells everything. And the word that Jesus uses there is hosus pos, and it means everything. <laughs> everything that belonged to him, he sold so he could get just enough money to buy the field. It would include his clothing. I was going to say, the, the shirt off his back and Absolutely. everything, right? He's yeah. scraping together any money he can get. He just needs to buy that field because he knows what's in that he field. He knows, yeah, what the true value of that field is. And so he'll. there's nothing he owns right now that he wouldn't let go of to get enough so that the widow will take his offer right. and, and sell him the field. And then he gets the big treasure, the big payoff. Interesting. So there's not a... a theft aspect there. No, which when I used to read this one, that was my first thought was, guy's kind of unethical. Guy's a little immoral. He finds, finds somebody else's money, moves it, hides it again, and then kind of buys it out from under them. But that was considered business as usual. Okay. So culturally that was acceptable Yeah, at the time. Yeah. We might have questions about it today, but not then. Interesting. And so the value there beyond the value of the treasure What's Jesus trying to say there is that the kingdom of heaven is the treasure that's worth selling the shirt off your back yeah. to have. Yeah. Right? Eff- effectively. And if we if we if we use the other definitions of kingdom of heaven, your faith or the indwelling spirit, what wouldn't you give to have the Holy Spirit living in you? What wouldn't you give to have a a solid, dependable faith? Right. Uh, according to Matthew quoting Jesus. You should give everything. Because nothing is more valuable. Nothing. Right. Than everlasting life. Yeah. This controls where you spend the rest of eternity. So what could possibly be of more value? I can't think of anything. (laughs) Okay. So then he continues on. Well, there's another parable in that little section. It's like the merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. Right. I always... Question, why did he use pearls as the example? I don't know. Is there anything special about a pearl merchant? At this, um, this guy obviously then is wealthy. Okay. Uh, unlike the tenant farmer, if you're a gem collector and a gem dealer, you had some big bucks. Um, I came across uh, one uh, uh, article of a doctoral thesis uh, from uh, somebody at uh, Notre Dame that said, uh, at this time in history, if you had a really choice pearl, it would it would be worth the equivalent of ten million dollars today. Wow! So this guy is knows it when he sees it. It's big, but it's not necessarily and and he can afford it. He can sell all of his other stuff and afford that ten million dollar choice pearl. Interesting. Okay, I guess that makes a little more sense. So this guy, he's already wealthy. And he's looking to increase his wealth. He's looking for the pearl of all pearls, essentially. Right. In this, and he finds it, and he says, "Wow!" He sells everything just like the tenant farmer did. He sells everything because this is more valuable than anything else. All the wealth I have, right. this is more valuable than everything this I own. Even though I'm already thing. rich. Yeah. Or even though I'm rich, this yeah. is more valuable than that. Same idea. The kingdom of heaven is, even to a rich man, more valuable than everything you own, which kind of brings the point home even more, I think. You know, a poor man, he doesn't have a lot to sell, but the rich man giving or selling everything to get the kingdom of heaven seems like a bigger sacrifice. Maybe it's not, but it seems that way that he's making a bigger choice. Yeah. 
to, to make this purchase of, of the kingdom of heaven in effect. And I think it kind of speaks uh, to the point, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what your position is in life is, doesn't matter what your job is, doesn't matter what your financial value is, doesn't matter uh, whether you're a single uh, person or whether you're married with 41 kids, your faith should be the most valuable thing you possess. Right, your, whatever your stage of life is, your relationship with God and your eternal path is the most important thing in yeah, life. Yeah, it's basically what it's saying. And you got to wonder how many people really feel that way. Probably very few, honestly. I mean, in today's age, we're not thinking that way. Right, my value is based on the job I do. Or the car I drive, or where I live. Yeah, that's where we think. That's where we get our self worth. Yeah, is from things or position or yes. power. Yeah. Whereas Jesus, even back then, that was probably still true then, right? I mean, people, the powerful, controlled everything, and the poor didn't have anything. Same like today. Yeah. And so their self worth was kind of the same. But what Jesus is saying to them and to us is, no, that's not what's important yeah. in this life and the next. The most important thing in all of the universe is the kingdom of heaven. Interesting. From the day you're born till the day you die, the most important thing you will ever do is accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and then value that relationship with the Lord God. True. All right, anything else on on that on those two? Nope. Okay, so the next part is the parable of the fishing net. Yeah. So we've got uh, kingdom of heavens like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught every kind of fish. Kind of straightforward. Yep. No, it's not Peter fishing yet. <laughs> Although we knew. I wonder if he used this example because a lot of the apostles were fishermen. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Um, but then he pulls the net. He pull. They pull up the net. It's got every kind of fish. They start sorting the fish. Yeah. Right? The good fish go here, and the bad fish will probably in those days they throw them away or throw them back in the water, whatever. But in this case, we start – he's talking about something else entirely, isn't he? Right. It's still kingdom of heaven, but now he's jumped back to the parousia, the second coming, that aspect of the kingdom of heaven, when it becomes complete. That's what this parable is about. So Jesus is throwing the net yeah. to all the people in the world – and the angels too. And they're going to pull up all the people, you know, forever, all the people, and they're going to sort them, the yeah. good and the bad. 290 miles from Dutch Harbor. The angels doing the sorting again. We covered that yeah. like last week or the week before. We talked about the angels are doing sorting. That's not what I expected. But here we have a second example. Jesus of brings that up again. Yeah. The, the angels are doing the sorting. And so in this case, he says the wicked... The the not choice fish, <laughs> let's call them that, are thrown into the fires. Whereas I guess he's talking about hell. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, so that was kind of straightforward because he kind of explains it. Yeah, right. Not not anything special there. You want to bring up? Uh, this is an example. Remember, they're on the Sea of Galilee. That Peter's house is right at the lake, and so Jesus may even be preaching this one down at the lake. Uh, so this example is is really familiar to everybody that's listening to Jesus tell this parable. He's describing what they call dragnet fishing. Mm -hmm. It's 
two boats and you drop a net between them. Uh, there are weights on one side of the net, buoys on the other side. So the, the net forms this solid wall, vertical wall between the two boats. And then as you sail the two boats forward, everything gets caught. Right. right. Pull it up. Uh, in the Sea of Galilee, uh, there were roughly 22 different types of fish that you could catch. Only five of those were legal to eat if you were a good Jew. Uh, the other 17 are ritually impure. And there are all these rules. You know, it's got to look like a fish. It's got to have a round head, not a pointy nose. Uh, it can't be brightly colored. And there are all these rules on what makes a ritually pure fish. And so uh, fishermen would do this. They'd drag net fish, drag it all back. And then people would be used to walking the shoreline and seeing fishermen sitting there sorting right. fish. And their concept of uh, taking care of the environment was the good fish go in a bucket and we sell them and mm -hmm. people eat them. The bad fish, we don't want to throw back in the water because they're going to eat the plants that the good fish need to be eating. We want more good fish than bad fish. So throw the bad fish in the fire. Right. And just be done with them. We don't want to throw them back in the water and let them keep populating. Exactly. That's what I was going to say is we don't want them to keep populating and becoming more bad fish. Exactly. We want to take, essentially take them out of the out of the water so they can't do that anymore. So anybody listening to this parable would have been very familiar with watching fishermen come in and pick through good fish and bad fish. And the bad fish had a terrible fate. Right. And so then Jesus turns and says, okay, that's going to be... You've seen this before. Guess what? It's yeah. going to be exactly how it's going to be at the end. Exactly. Except the angels are now sorting the fish. Right. Sorting the people. And then, anything else on that? Nope. Okay. Um, and then he jumps to, and it kind of surprised me, he he kind of turns to, I guess it's the apostles. He's just talking to the apostles here. This I, We get uh, the we, feeling, yeah, that he's just got the 12 around him when he goes to this point. And he says, do you understand all these things? And they say, yes. As they do. always did. Yeah. Yes, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then in other areas, we find out that they didn't understand until way later what really meant. But yes, Jesus, we understand. <laughs> and in fact, I'll give Matthew props. He's the one who says more than any of them. We didn't understand this till way after the resurrection. Right. <laughs> oh, that's what he meant. But on this particular night when Jesus asked, you guys, you guys get this? They all went, yes. <laughs> well, it, I mean, like I said, it, it relates to something they do, right? Yeah. Half of the guys are yeah. fishermen, so they're quite accustomed to this. And right. he's saying, and they weren't unfamiliar with the end time, right, when... All the right. Jews would go to heaven and all the Gentiles all, everybody would Everybody else, yeah. And so yeah. they might have thought we're talking all the Jews get in the bucket. <laughs> that would have made the most sense <laughs> to know. them. Jews are good fish. Gentiles are bad fish. And then to me, this kind of verse 51. No, it's it's after this 52. It seems like kind of a throwaway to me. Yeah, there's or a, this. an add-on. There's this weird verse. Yeah. And he says, every teacher of religious religious law who comes who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. Kind of interesting. Who are the teachers of the religious law? I think of the Pharisees, the scribes, all yeah. those people. Yes. But if they convert, if you will, to Christianity, then, or disciple of kingdom, right, kingdom of heaven, is that who he's talking about? Is those people, or is it somebody else? You were the NLT, which you and I both read it from tonight. Yeah, calls them uh, teachers of religious law. Uh, I think most of your other translations will actually use the word scribe. Mm. Uh, 
So it, Matthew has this weird thing. He says, so every scribe who becomes a disciple is like a homeowner who has, you know, all these great new and old things. And and we don't have any examples of scribes becoming disciples. Well, there's some Pharisees that do. Well, yeah, there is. Yeah, there's Nicodemus. Nicodemus came yeah. to mind. Uh, and, and so um, – but we don't have any uh, scribes, any you know, temple authorities, guys right. that translate the Bible uh, that we have. And so you might go, well, where did, where did Matthew get this from? And why is Jesus even talking about this? Or is Jesus even talking about this? Well, that word that's translated as scribe uh, is the, also the word that's most commonly used for tax collector, because tax collectors kept very detailed written notes of who they had taken money from and how much they took. And how much more they can get from them. Exactly. <laughs> what they still owe. And right. the tax There's one for you, 19 for me. And so this case, we're not talking, I don't think, about a religious scribe. We're talking about tax collectors. And, of course, the most famous tax collector that you and I know is Matthew. Matthew. Jinx, buy me a Coke. <laughs> exactly. And so, um, and I'm going to quote men smarter than me on this, uh, Craig L. Blomberg and R.C. Sproul, uh, who are both both biggies in, um, in uh, exegesis, both agree this is a Matthew edition talking about himself. Matthew is saying that uh, I was once one of the most hated men in Israel. Yes. And yet he would have been rich. Tax collectors, because they stole money, basically, right. were incredibly wealthy. And Matthew stood up and walked away from that life the day he met Jesus. And so Matthew is the guy that finds the buried treasure. He is the guy that comes across the pearl. Matthew is the guy that realized being a part of the kingdom of heaven, being a part of Jesus's transition team is worth more than anything else I have ever had in my life. And I need this. Matthew is the guy who puts it into action. So he's given us these two parables that Jesus taught. And then Matthew says, and I did it. Right. I actually did it. And you should too. Matthew's gospel more than any other uh, is not real forgiving of people that have excuses why I can't be really faithful today or why I can't follow Jesus today. Matthew is the hardest on people for you should walk away from everything else and be a Christian right now. And you should be an enthusiastic Christian right now. And this is this is part of that. Right. This is kind of his and here's what Jesus did for me story. Yes, it is. <laughs> this is Matthew's testimony. Here's what Jesus yeah. did for me. I, I was I was a lowly nobody, and now I have the greatest, most important thing that anyone can have in the universe. I am, I have the kingdom of heaven within me. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, because when I first read that, you know, gems of truth as well as old, new gems as well as old, I thought, is this kind of a New Testament, Old Testament thing? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I first and there, thought. Of. And there are some people who try to push it in that direction, and, and we're not saying they're wrong that it can't also mean that. I don't think that's the primary meaning. I don't think so either now that we've talked through it, but that was my first thought was, yeah. was you kind of alluding to the New Testament, which hadn't been written yet. Right. You know, it's 30 years to even begin. And then my other thought were some of these, is this, you know, he's talking about getting this valuable thing. And I was, re I've been reading a lot of Proverbs lately and, and in Proverbs, wisdom yeah. is the most valuable thing yes. in all of the, all of creation. And so I thought, is this all about wisdom? Because Proverbs talks 
like I said, a lot about uh, wisdom. In fact, there's 16 different chapters, uh, Proverbs, that discuss wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, is Jesus just, you know, calling up the wisdom books or what? But I think it's bigger than that. I think it's more about, well, he says it, and I just mi- misunderstood it, but the kingdom of heaven is even more valuable than even wisdom. Yeah. You know, yeah, but you need to be wise about the. It's okay of to be the stupidest guy in the kingdom of heaven as long as you're in the kingdom of heaven. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's hope for me yet. <laughs> I just might be okay. <laughs> All right. Anything else on this? No. Those are the again. They were fairly short, fairly straightforward, and self descriptive, and yeah. Okay. Um, have you given a? Uh, sermon title yet? Yeah, define valuable. <laughs> what's, okay. va- what's valuable? What what would you keep rather than your faith? What would you give up for your faith? Interesting. So, if you'd like to hear this uh, sermon that Rocky delivers, uh, either show up here in person <laughs> at Ponder UMC, or that is an option. That is an option. You're welcome to join us. We love 104 to have you. Remington Park Lane, Ponder, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Ten a.m. Yes, on Sundays, <laughs> Central Daylight Savings Time. <laughs> For all of our countrywide and even international listeners, come on in. We'd love to meet you. <laughs> yeah, we would. That's a new kind of plea instead of the feedback. Yeah, yeah, Just come on yeah. in. Just come on and meet us. <laughs> if you um, won't email us, please walk through the door. Yeah, doors. walk through the door. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, so on our website, www.ponderumc.org, at the top, there's a menu called Ministries. Pull that down, and there's an option in there for sermons. And look for the sermon, Define Valuable. And this will have been delivered on March 27th, 2022. And with that, I think we'll close this episode. From the sound studios of Ponder UMC, this is Ken Corkins and Rocky Ellison reminding you to love God and be nice to people. Thank you for listening. You can find us at www.ponderumc.org. There, you can watch the live stream of our casual service, listen to replays of this and past sermons, and find other interesting information about us. This has been Pondering the Bible.